and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. It's episode 17 and I'm recording this on the 12th of December having just submitted the manuscript for the second edition of my Circular Economy Handbook to the publisher Kogan Page. 120,000 words with 125 figures and tables. I breathed a big sigh of relief. I had so many great new examples to include, so there are lots of new case studies, and we're talking about one of them today. In this episode, I'm talking to Nancy Bocken. Nancy co-founded the company Homey, which is developing circular services for paper-use home appliances, starting with washing machines. Nancy has an academic background and she's Professor and Research Coordinator in Sustainable Business Management and Practice at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics at Lund University in Sweden. She focuses on topics like sustainable business model innovation, sufficiency and experimentation. And she's just been awarded a grant of one of one and a half million euros from the European Research Council. Alongside her main role, she's a fellow at Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, a visiting professor at three other universities and an advisor to organisations, including the Forest Stewardship Council. We talk about how Homey got started and how the service works. Nancy tells us about the challenges they faced and the benefits of paper use for customers, the business and our environment. She shares some great tips for those of you thinking about circular projects or startups. And we hear how Homey has built relationships with its customers so that a lot of the marketing is by word of mouth. We start with Nancy telling us how the idea for Homey came about. Nancy, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. And perhaps we can start by you telling us where you're calling in from today. Uh, hi, yeah, thanks for inviting me to the podcast. I'm calling in from Lund University, Sweden today. Great stuff. And we first met um, probably in uh, 2014 at the Institute for Manufacturing Conference at Cambridge University. And I know you've been doing lots of really excellent research into circular economy design and business models. A couple of, uh, of your reports are going to be key points in in the uh, second edition of my circular economy handbook which is underway now Um, but we're talking today about a business that you've launched called Homey Um, so I'm interested to find out about that and what sparked the idea for it. Great thanks yeah uh, my research at at the time as you pointed out was focused on sustainable business models so that was really my focus but I was doing a lot of theoretical work and was getting a bit frustrated because it was claiming that sustainable or circular business models are better for the environment but there wasn't so much evidence really in practice 
So it was basically on a holiday with one of the co-founders in Thailand. And there we saw this pay-per-use washing machine and we got thinking about it and we thought could it actually work um in in europe as well and could we turn this into a viable business model so there was really evidence in the literature that paying per use could be better for the environment and that sort of started uh, started the thinking about this uh, potential business model right and so how did you start to actually bring that to fruition and take it from an idea to something tangible yeah, of course, it didn't just start with, oh, that's a good idea and let's just start tomorrow. No, basically, um, I was at uh, TU Delft when uh, the idea uh, became a, a real business. And we basically got some initial seed funding from TU Delft. Um, and that actually was uh, needed to create demonstrators based on research. So as researchers, we were challenged to develop a demonstrator based on your research. And my research focused not on a specific technology or product, but more on business models. So with this idea from the Thailand pay-per-use machine in mind and being challenged to set up a demonstrator, I thought, well, maybe I can develop a pay-per-use washing machine uh, with this particular particular, uh, startup fund. So it really started with something very small, basically 5,000 euros to set up a demonstrator project like in three months time. Uh, with this, we developed, I think, the first three washing machines, just bought it normally uh, off the internet, the washing machines. I rolled them in at uh, TU Delft and we had some clever engineers uh, making them pay-per-use uh, yeah, pay-per-use models by adding in a tracker and also trying to link it to the internet. So we had a software engineer and a mechanical engineer helping us out. And we basically started testing in our own homes and at the university, like, can you actually pay-per-use? And that was sort of the proven, uh, the first proof of the pudding that it could uh, actually work. And we could also see that, okay, you maybe get more conscious when uh, you pay-per-use or maybe you wash less. So that was sort of the starting point. Maybe going a little bit further, um, on this. So uh, with this uh, initial startup fund, we basically could um, provide more evidence that uh, it could be something bigger potentially. So we actually went to the Dutch government uh, and applied for a SDW takeoff grant. So that's basically more like a convertible loan and it helps Dutch uh, scientists wanting to commercialize their scientific findings. So in this case, this was probably the first business model project that they started to fund rather than a technology. So with that startup fund, we could go from the three washing machines to 100 washing machines. And now uh, we've actually grown uh, quite a bit since. Great. So that was was good that um, it was uh, the first one of its kind. Just coming back to the, uh, the technology and perhaps helping people understand what a pay-per-use washing machine would involve. So the tracker um, tracks what the, the number of um, washes it's done, or does it is it able to track the temperature that people have washed at, or you know what kind of things does it does it measure, and what behaviour changes did you see through that? Yeah, so a pay-per-use um, washing machine, uh, yeah, it sounds a bit sci-fi, but basically what we did 
is uh, yeah, built in a Wi-Fi tracker. So a tracker is based on, on the Wi-Fi. So it does depend on people having Wi-Fi in their homes. Uh, with the tracker, basically, we can see when people wash, at which temperature, which program they use. So it did require some uh, good engineering skills to actually uh, track that. And then we have a data engineer or software engineer, basically, who um, collects all that information in a database so we can um, keep that information and also link it to a, a pay system. So people actually only pay for the washes they do. Uh, related to that, uh, we want to be like a sustainable company. So in, in addition to making you conscious about how much you wash through paying for use, uh, we also um, allow people uh, yeah, to, uh, yeah, to be rewarded for washing at lower temperatures. So the lower temperature wash is actually cheaper than a high temperature wash. So some, some kind of scale with a 90%, a 90 degree wash being the most expensive one and the 30 and the low temperature wash being the cheapest one. So we can see uh, through the model that people um, wash 30% less in general. And then there's some differences between the uh, high and low temperature temperature groups, but people also significantly uh, wash at lower temperatures through uh, this particular business model. So at least people wash less and then also uh, at lower temperatures. So for us, this was really encouraging because you can see a pay-per-use business model already as a circular business model because Homey as the company retains the ownership uh, of the washing machine. And through this, we can ensure that it gets maintained better, repaired, etc. But also in this way, through paying for use, people get more conscious about how often uh, they wash. And then uh, it can also lead to more sustainable co consumption patterns. And that's what we've seen in our data as well. Right. I mean, that 30% less is an amazing uh, reduction, isn't it? Um, you know, given that people are already paying for the electricity and, and the water, and the detergents just just to add on the fact that you're now paying per um, cycle of the washing machine or per use of the washing machine to achieve a, a 30% reduction in the number of washers I think is is amazing yeah we were quite uh, quite pleased with the results because it was just an assumption like if you pay per use then you wash less because you become more conscious and we do have uh, competing uh, companies startups scale-ups that try to do similar things, but what they do is more like a rental model. So for instance, you pay a fixed fee per month, but in that way you cannot really um, stimulate uh, consumer behavior so well because you don't have control over how often people wash. And there's no incentive to, for people to wash less as well. Mm. So are you able to, um, because I'm thinking about the lower temperature thing, um, if you're not providing the energy for the machine, it doesn't directly benefit your business that the customer's washing at a lower temperature. It's better for society and the environment. Are you able to um, recover any reward for that from the government or from energy companies? Or is it is it just kind of a uh, an extra benefit? Yeah, we considered many things. So initially, uh, in our first version of the business model, we included rebates. So that was just to uh, reward people uh, who washed at lower temperatures. So they got some, yeah, sort of phony, I call it here, um, um, yeah, amount back at the end of the month, but just to reward them for their behavior. We didn't really gain so much from that. But of course, what we try to uh, create is a sustainable proposition. Uh, we did consider all kinds of collaborations. We um, 
are still in conversation with all kinds of yeah, bigger players in the energy markets, also laundry detergents, uh, manufacturers, basically everyone you can think of, even banks uh, for the pay-per-use model. Uh, but of course, that's the yeah in academic terms a debate startup versus large company. Um, we're probably on the <laughs> on the on the worst end of the of the stick in terms of negotiation. Um, so that's always a, a challenging thing. But we have considered um, finding better ways to create a business model that aligns all the interests, maybe also with an energy provider. But yeah, that's probably more for future uh, future reference, I guess. Yeah, because I think I read somewhere, and I can't, I can't think what the um, appliance was, but there was something where um, customers benefited from using the machine um, out of peak hours. Um, so, um, and it, it was through some sort of pay-per-use system. So um, you kind of got more more time per euro if you were using the appliance. Um, you know, say. Uh, overnight or in the middle of the day rather than um, at peak times in the morning and at, at tea time when everybody's got the kettle on and the oven on and so on um, because that made it easier for the energy company to balance their their energy supplies so it kind yeah, of makes so sense doesn't it to have to have lots of parties involved in in helping you provide the right service yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, potential in this type of business model. Some uh, colleagues at TU Delft also um, created a study called uh, Washing When the Sun is Shining. So uh, washing whenever <laughs> you can do it uh, during the day. Of course, we have batteries now where you can sort of store energy. But I think in, in theory, it could be quite a nice uh, solution as well to avoid peak, uh, peak loads on, um, yeah, on energy supply, basically. So that could be a potential solution as well in paper use. So there's many opportunities, I guess. Yeah, that's certainly what we do is because uh, we now have um, uh, solar PV as well as solar thermal providing hot water. So after after kind of 9am when the sun's up and providing some <laughs> solar power and and hot water, that's the time to do the um, uh, the washing and, and even the dishwasher that's plumbed into the hot water i think that's probably my yorkshire frugal genes coming <laughs> coming to the fore <laughs> yeah, as well <laughs> I, I definitely see the opportunity yes yeah <laughs> so what kind of challenges have you faced you know apart from being a tiny startup and trying to get the attention of people and um, what other kind of challenges um, have you had to come, overcome yeah, so um, I try to write it up a few times, like what were the challenges? Uh, also, as an academic, I like to think and reflect about that. But basically, um, I think the challenges were related initially to the funding from getting from those three washing machines to scaling up to 100 and a lot more. And then it was the technology, like uh, we depend on Wi-Fi. Maybe it's better to work with 5G or another type of network rather than depending on people's Wi-Fi. Uh, calculating the business case, making sure that it's viable for everyone involved and that it's a fair price. Uh, I think all proved to be challenging, but also solvable in the end too. So we're a running business, we're a growing business. We now have private investors. We also have a bank uh, who supports us with, with the funding, ABN AMRO, so a large uh, established bank in the Netherlands. Um, so I think we got quite far despite all these continue, continuing challenges. So yeah, we just encourage people uh, to, to experiment and try and go for it, basically. 
Yeah, and it sounds like you, you know, thought about how to set up your ecosystem of knowledge and experience around you with, uh, you know, the people in the university who were who were doing the support with the engineering and the tracking and so on. And it's great that you've got um, banks like ABN involved, and they're doing quite a bit of um, work to support the circular economy. And they certainly seem to be one of the more forward-thinking um, banks in that area. Yeah, but it's also one of the things is that, like you said, the university ecosystem. So yeah, being surrounded by the right people, also doing some work in in this area uh, myself. But uh, people working on IoT, uh, behavior change, of course, sustainability, but also yeah, building the right technology and actually knowing whether it's even possible to create such a connected device. Uh, yeah, it was really nice to be, be able to put together that knowledge from uh, from that uh, environment that really helped us mm. and what about finding customers how how did you go about that yeah so when we started we were basically um, i was based mainly at tu delft so uh, what was very helpful is really the word of mouth uh, marketing so it really helps uh, even with students like um, yeah if we look at the types of customers we have it's mainly people either very interested in sustainability. So in the beginning, we had a lot of uh, women between the age of uh, 30 and 45 signing up, it seemed, because they seemed to be very uh, vested in the, in sustainability as a topic. But we also had low income, um, people with a lower income, but also uh, people who want to be more flexible and don't want to own a washing machine. So students fit in there quite well as well. So the student environment definitely worked but also word of mouth marketing because we were relatively small, but also very close to the customers. So uh, we were very flexible installing uh, machines, of course, and we could work with people's schedules rather than having to sit at home all day and waiting for the washing machine. We could, for instance, uh, secure like a one hour slot uh, for people. So that worked very well, but also being very close to the customer. So we also tried things like people providing people with uh, information, social comparison, all those things from behavior science that are, have been proven uh, to stimulate uh, positive behavior change. We also try to support our customers in behaving better and how to treat the washing machine. We also, uh, for instance, offer them a free 90 degree wash, uh, sort of as a maintenance uh, type of thing uh, to keep the machine clean. So all those things, uh, probably when you normally buy a washing machine, you don't hear anything <laughs> from the manufacturer anymore once you've bought it. But uh, instead, we try to make a much more yeah, engage, engaging uh, conversation with the customer and a continuing one. I think that is very much appreciated and led to more uh, word of mouth uh, marketing as well. Mm, I think you're right that that's that's really important and there are lots of um, benefits to that from from both sides. Um, I think I remember getting a washing machine repaired a few years ago and the um, repairman telling me that, um, you know, there was all this um, powder clogged up um, and, um, you know, how I needed to do a, um, a 90 degree or at least a 60 degree wash once in a while. And I was kind of saying, oh, but I thought it was... Um, you know, better just to do as low temperature as possible and not realising that, you know, you need to do this maintenance wash. So giving the customer the kind of information that helps them reduce the risk of breakdown and maintenance and get the balance right between, um, you know, lowest lowest cost and energy use and keeping the machine going, um, you know, is beneficial to both sides, isn't it? A bit like we see in uh, performance for, in contracts for performance where you agree um, 
you know, the aims from the customer and from the supplier's perspective and then um, build a contract around that. Um, and I think, you know, that word of mouth marketing is also something that um, is a real benefit from providing a service instead of a transaction. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, we do notice that people appreciate it and they may have thought about it themselves, like, oh, maybe I sometimes have to wash it 60 degrees if they're very much in the know about that stuff. So we do, really don't want to punish people and we may want to make it as easy as possible and also at the same time do uh, preventative maintenance. And you also yeah, mentioned the service aspects um, and also more the social side, perhaps, of sustainability. Maybe one side note on that, what we also noticed um, is that uh, we attracted a whole new group of customers than we um, envisaged in the beginning because we thought, oh, we go for flexible, sustainable, etc. But we also suddenly attracted a yeah, lower income uh, group as well because people might not be able to afford a washing machine. Uh, but then through paying for use, they can sort of decide, like, okay, maybe I wash two or three times a week, but it's much cheaper than a laundrette. And definitely cheaper than uh, renting out a machine. So uh, we also attracted a very happy group of uh, customers to have their own washing machine, or at least a washing machine in the home. And um, yeah, uh, trying to keep control of their finances uh, as well in that way. That's Yeah, that's really interesting that um, through the word of mouth, you start to uncover a new customer base. Um, and then you can find ways of making the service work um, better for a, a wider range of customers and kind of move from the early adopters to, um, you know, the next group um, and getting to the heart of what makes it work for them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And did you, does that, do you provide that information through a newsletter or is it in an app or how do you get it to them? Yeah, we have newsletters. Uh, we don't have an app yet, but just people can, uh, yeah, what is it called? A web app or something. So not mm. like an app store app, but um, just via, via the website, basically. Um, and uh, emails. Um, but also, yeah, sometimes people like the direct contact. So we also do like follow-up. Uh, follow-ups via the phone even to see like hey is it going well and uh, does it all work and uh, so we, we try to have quite close contacts like you said really acting more as a service provider than as a yeah a company that, with a random group of users so uh, yeah we really try to be service service oriented mm. i forgot to uh, say but we have um, also change the slogan a bit to uh, being ready for worry-free washing. So really this worry-free uh, bit is very important. Yeah, that's good. And just going back to the washing machine, um, did you have trouble finding um, a washing machine design that, that would provide the reliability and um, long life that helped your business model work? Yeah, so in the beginning, that's a funny and interesting question because, of course, as a company, we want to go, wanted to go for the best and most um, energy-efficient appliance. Uh, so what we did is we went to which, like the consumer um, organization, to find out like what are the best washing machines. But we also had to look at affordability, but also hackability. So some of the probably more advanced uh, washing machines there 
not so easy to to connect to the Wi-Fi yourself because they might be have their own connection to Wi-Fi already. So for us, it had to be those things. So it should be, I don't know, sustainable, uh, good quality, and also hackable. So uh, that sounds a bit weird, but that's the practicality of being uh, a startup. Um, so we don't want to endorse like a particular brand mm. or something. And yeah, the idea, of course, coming from a design faculty at TU Delft as well is to eventually design our own appliances. And we're definitely looking into that because then you can design for repair, remanufacturing, maintenance, recycling, etc. So you can de yeah, develop the best washing machine possible eventually. And of course, we're in conversations as well with various manufacturers, but I think it might even be quicker to design our own washing machine. Yeah, I think you could be right because uh, washing machines seem to be one of those products that are firmly in the planned obsolescence um, mode of design. Um, and I've uh, yeah, probably <laughs> I've com complained about the um, uh, you know the washing machine longevity model um, lots of times. But I um, and I think I've suggested for the witch report that instead of just finding out. Um, you know, how well it performs in use, you know, like how clean does it get your clothes? Is it quiet? How how long is the washing machine cycle? They ought to follow up with people two years, four years, you know, seven years later and find out now how long the washing machine has lasted. Has it had to be repaired? Are they still pleased with it? Um, because those stories could be quite different to the experience in the first year or so, um, you know, when you're only thinking about what it's like to use the machine, not what it's like to, um, uh, you know, finance and uh, and live with any hassle from breakdowns and so on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, as relatively uh, young co-founders, at least at the time, we were also uh, experienced with, I don't know, buying or renting our first um, homes and then having to fill it with appliances and then finding out that it's expensive. But then you buy something cheap and then it breaks down after a short time. We're really looking for a solution also to our own problems and how to make it a sustainable solution and not buying cheap appliance that breaks down uh, mm. after just a year or two. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think um, that's one of the things that you would hope the EU Eco Design Directive would address. Yeah, so definitely. I think you're touching on an important point and that's policy. And I think... The business model that we pursue at the moment uh, works uh, yeah, regardless of uh, the policies at the moment. But in the future, of course, that uh, needs to come uh, more closely together as well. Um, yeah. I was thinking about another point related to this. So people are very bad at predicting their future costs that they will have for the washing machine. But for instance, when I bought a cheap washing machine, which broke down after two years, uh, the repair costs were 200 euros. Um, and probably the thing that broke down maybe cost 10 cents. So I really felt robbed as a customer. Uh, but uh, people are very bad at predicting their future costs. And we try to find ways to communicate that better, like trying to do the full cost calculations of having service, repair, delivery, everything included in one package. But I think that is one of the things that uh, people need to start start to get used to perhaps in the circular economy like uh, doing that full cost uh, calculation mm. and i think you're right you know people can't necessarily envisage that for themselves and that was what i was um 
kind of referring to when we were talking about the witch reports, um, you know, knowing how reliable this machine is going to be. And you're right, if you take it further and do a total cost of use and ownership, um, then that kind of comparison over, um, you know, in a five year life isn't long enough, is it? A washing machine should last for a lot longer than that. Um, so kind of um, having that sort of comparison that's that's then updated um, as people feed in more information about breakdowns and costs and so on um, could be a game changer in terms of helping people understand which which washing machine whether you're buying it or having a subscription but you know which is the is the better service really for both um, value for money and lack of hassle I mean who actually wants to um, stay in for the washing machine repairman <laughs> nobody yeah, exactly. really yeah yeah so we promise like a, a new washing machine in 24 hours um, when the washing machine breaks down so I think people really value that because then that also no one has to be in your home to do the repairs you know and then uh, end up with this d disappointing news that uh, it cannot be fixed so with that particular washing machine, someone had to come back twice to say like, no, I still cannot fix it. No, I still cannot fix it. And then, yeah. <laughs> so it's also the hassle uh, of being at home, having that, that whole process. So yeah, just uh, another washing machine. We also don't promise a new washing machine, but a replacement mm. uh, washing machine. It looks like it's new, but it's probably refurbished, cleaned, uh, things like that. So yeah. Mm. And as long as it works, then... Um, yeah, you know, it's a that's... functioning, good machine that still looks good, but yeah. So what's the one um, piece of advice, Nancy, that you'd give to somebody starting to explore circular economy and ideas for their own organisation? Yeah, my best piece of advice is to actually start. <laughs> and so that's also basically my current research on experimentation. So a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, I have this idea. And then apparently they have had that idea for two years and they haven't really taken any action on it. So, of course, not everyone has like maybe the right environment around them to, to start such an idea. But yeah, quite cheaply, you can start experimenting and even testing with people like to see whether it's it's really a good idea to talking to people who not only maybe your friends and family but also others who will give honest answers on whether it could be a viable uh, business idea so basically i don't think that we should sit and wait for others to come up with the solutions and i've seen many good startups who've actually started to put forward some of those solutions and also don't feel disappointed, really, when people tell you, like, oh, I've seen this model before. Like, even um, when I had to do the pitch uh, for the Dutch government, one of the people um, in the committee told me, yeah, but I've seen this model before. I said, oh, really? Which one then? And can you tell me the company name and what they do? And they came up with a competitor's name. I said, well, I don't think it's the same model because they have, like, a sort of more like a rental model. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So after the this committee, I thought actually maybe we didn't get the grant, but I think they were convinced by the fact that there wasn't really enough data on whether such a model could work. And uh, people might tell you that the model is not unique or maybe not possible, but I think uh, so for me, that's extra motivation to prove the contrary, I guess. Yeah, and maybe you um, helped overcome that objection by knowing who the competitor was and knowing how their business model was different so you could explain the uh, you know the nuances so you yeah. know researching what's already happening and and 
doing your homework on what's out there and why it might be working or not working, um, I think is, uh, is valuable as well. Yeah, and maybe if you are already a bit bigger and, and start to think about how should I basically start, we basically started in one or two cities like in Delft and Rotterdam. So Delft is where the university is. Rotterdam is a big nearby city, which also is quite at scale. So I think Swapfeeds, which is one of those other mm. Dutch uh, companies leasing bicycles to students, they also started in one or two towns maybe and gradually expanded when they saw that the business model worked. So then you can keep your costs low and sort of start mm. expanding uh, when it's really possible. And that's what we did. And now we operate in the Netherlands and not only in Delft and Rotterdam anymore, but we gradually expanded and, um, and we got loads of requests already when we were just in Delft from people all over the country. And, but we had to say, oh, maybe in a half a year's time. So uh, you also have to sort of pace uh, yourself a little bit in your growth and mm. stay realistic. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that sounds like really um, great advice for anybody thinking of getting going. And I think coming back to your first point of just get started and, and um, experiment. Don't don't wait for the, um, you know, the perfect scenario or you'll suddenly find out that somebody else has got there first. Yeah. So and then, it might be new and new in your own city or new in your country, but maybe in another country it does work. But that doesn't matter because it's not in, in this particular market that it's already something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Nancy, if people want to find out more about Homey and other projects that you're doing, uh, where can they go? Well, of course, we have our website, homeypaperuse.com, and we're on Twitter and social media, of course, with Homey Paper Use. Uh, but also, um, it's maybe quite interesting to know that we're updating the branding and the website pretty soon. And we're called Homey for a reason. So the, the idea is that we expand to multiple home appliances. So we debated a lot about the sustainability of tumble dryers, but people live in small apartments and they want to dry their clothes. So we actually expanded to tumble dryers and we're doing some quite cool tests uh, there too. And maybe also with dishwashers and even uh, other appliances like coffee makers in the future. So uh, watch this space basically. Brilliant. Well, I'm really glad to hear it's going from strength to strength and um, look forward to finding out what's what's next on the journey for Homey and for you, Nancy. Thank you very Great, much for taking you. the time to talk to us today. Thank you. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.